everyone. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our Knesset correspondent, Kerry Keller-Lynn, and legal reporter, Jeremy Sharon. Hello to you both. Hi. Good morning, Amanda. For political reporters such as you two, yesterday was basically a year-long day with many twists and turns. We'll hear about the intrigue inside the Knesset as well as the large protest outside. And then, of course, the day ended with a huge cliffhanger in which the coalition seemed to air willingness for compromise. Maybe. We'll hear all about that after a word from our sponsor. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachuklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. And we're back. So hard to know where to start. But Carrie, let's start at the very beginning with your trip from Tel Aviv to the capital. Not your normal experience during the commute, I understand. No, I took the train, Amanda, because roads were already closed in Jerusalem and people warned about really extreme traffic. Uh, but the day before the protest, our transport minister, uh, Likud member Miri Regev, uh, said that she didn't see a need to increase trains, despite the fact that tens of thousands of people were predicted to descend upon the capital. And I definitely felt the consequences of that. Although Israel ra- Railways ultimately did uh, increase train service, it-, it was packed like a sardine can. I've never before, Amanda, seen lines to get into the station or people being left on the tracks, unable to get into the cars. Uh, there were stations that we stopped at that they opened the doors and, and no one was allowed on because the cars were so full. Uh, and because this is Israel, of course, black humor attended at all. You could imagine the kind of train jokes that we heard on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, and then once we got there, very much so kind of greeted by this exultant, uh, congratulatory, I'd even say, spirit, where once the protesters looked up and, and saw kind of lines of hundreds of people streaming up these very, very long escalators that take you from uh, the underground train station to the surface, uh, started kind of cheering themselves with a kola kavod, sort of like a congratulations on us being here and chanting democracy and playing drums. There's very like festive uh, attitude that really accompanied people to the the march itself, it took me about an hour to fight through um, something that usually takes me about a 10 minute walk from Jerusalem Cinema City down to the Knesset. It took me about an hour uh, to fight through the crowd to make it to the Knesset where the main stage was. And uh, yeah, it was it was tremendous. At the time, they were reporting about 90,000 people there. I saw on Channel 12 last night, they said it was maybe about 250,000 descended upon Jerusalem. But one thing to note, that while, while this number of people were moving on the capital, what happened inside the Knesset almost felt completely disconnected. Because despite the fact 
right? Despite the fact that 90,000 to 250,000 people were standing at its gate, uh, members of the coalition very handily passed through and approved for the first reading the subject of the protest, the first volley of judicial reform. Okay, so Jeremy, that obviously takes us to you. You were inside the Knesset during the Stormy Constitution Committee, which was headed by M.K. Simcha Rotman. Now, before you dive in, I just want to remind listeners that we interviewed Rotman for our new weekly What Matters Now podcast series. And if you listeners want to hear what one of the architects of the judicial overhaul has to say, please check out What Matters Now to hear Rotman in his own words. Now, back to you, Jeremy. Uh, I understand that Rotman wasn't, uh, shall we say, brooking opposition during the meeting. Tell us uh, in more detail what went on there. Well, throughout this entire process, uh, Rotman has been accused of riding roughshod over the the regulations of the committee and and general the regular process for committee hearings and, and how legislation should be advanced. Yesterday, things got really out of control. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. The scenes inside the committee were just extraordinary. There was opposition MKs jumping over the, the, the committee table, marching down to, to the front of the committee to, and, and violently gesturing towards Rotman. They were resisting uh, being ejected from the committee hall by the, by the Knesset orderlies when Rotman ordered them out. Uh, there was chance of bouchard, which this chance of shame, a chance of disgrace. There's also a nice moment at the beginning when it was a bit more calmer, when they were kind of singing a, a well-known uh, Israeli song, kind of de- declaring their, their loyalty and, and, and patriotism to the country. You know, really wild scenes, and actually continued outside of the committee room once some of these MKs, or a lot of them, I should say, had been ejected by Rodman. Again, violently remonstrating with orderlies. At one point, a parliamentary aide was ejected from from the building itself and, and, and an MK marched outside and dragged her back in and screaming at these orderly saying, you know, you, who are you? You've got, you can't do this. This is nothing to do with you and you're not allowed to do this kind of thing. So really, really uh, intense objections, really intense scenes and, and, and perhaps crossed the line to a certain extent. I'm not sure that's exactly the standard of parliamentary behaviour we'd want to see, but I think obviously it reflects the uh, intensity of feeling around this very controversial issue. Now, let's go back to the protest before we dive into the issues after the break. As you mentioned, Carrie, the police estimate about 90,000 people attended. Other people put it at 130. Some high-tech group affiliated with the demonstrators, it must be said, even when as high as 300,000. But regardless, how did you see this protest compared to those that you've attended on Saturday nights in Tel Aviv, where we've also heard numbers as high as 120,000, etc.? What was really tremendous about this protest, Amanda, is that people took a vacation day uh, in order to attend it. Um, Whereas previous large protests have been on Saturday nights, uh, this protest, largely attended by secular working Israel, was on a Monday. Um, People took vacation days from work. Some companies let them take the day as kind of a a strike, something that was organized by uh, the protest community. Um, And... Some people took their kids out of school to attend with them. A lot of schools sort of did an Italian strike. Um, at least that's what they called in Hebrew, Shvita Talkit, uh, whereby they didn't teach uh, the normal curriculum, but instead were going to learn civics all day. And, and so, you know, they decide they can take their kids out for the day with them and experience this. Um, it was really tremendous to, to experience this. This is the first time that I've experienced something like this in Israel. Of course, uh, people hearken back to uh, Oslo to protest against Begin in the 80s. Um, 
this is not the first time Israel's seen protests on this scale. But I think what is really tremendous is that it keeps being framed as part of the political opposition, but it doesn't come from the political opposition. This is an independently and actually loosely organized protest. Uh, there are some main protest stalwarts who are leading this, and that would be the Movement for Quality Government, an organization called Black Flags, and another called Crime Minister, which were really essential during the Balfour protests in 2020. Um, but there are dozens uh, to 100 different small organizers involved in this. There's no official leader of the protest movement and is definitely not being directed by politicians. In fact, uh, when they spoke, several politicians from the opposition did speak yesterday. It was kind of uh, a surprise last minute organization. You know, it was to the point that it, it's kind of funny that um, one thing that's being proposed is that if uh, the sides were to accept President Herzog's proposal and freeze, freeze legislation for a week and come to the table and discuss things, um, something that's also been discussed is, hey, could a uh, protest stop too? And no, politicians have no control over these protests. Politicians can't tell uh, 90 to 300,000 people that you can't come on the streets, especially because they are not directing them. So this is really incredible um, how this continues to be such a uh, loosely organized conglomerate that um, has really sprung up in the last six weeks and um, has been able to deliver. And one thing I also want to say about the protest is that um, although most of the people there would not express this opinion, the protest leaders are pretty clear that they expect this legislation to go through. They don't think that the coalition uh, will stop for uh, the sake of this. And and there's a few reasons for that. One, if you look at the protests, we say 300,000 people is a lot. Uh, people have reminded me that this is, quote, uh, the funeral of a of a second-tier uh, Haredi rabbi, right? So these are not the largest numbers we've seen on Israel's streets, but more so, uh, they think that this will be a fight that ultimately makes its way to the Supreme Court. They think this is a fight that will be more drawn out. Uh, and they think that these protests are key for raising the conversation, for enabling uh, civil society, such as uh, various economists and financial leaders, uh, to weigh in on the issue and to raise awareness for the issue rather than an expectation that would stop the initial legislative process itself. Okay, let's go to a short break and then we'll talk about the legislative process. I got married this Monday in the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like, my friend has a 4x4. Four four. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their like blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Jeremy, you were in the committee. So please tell us what actually passed yesterday and where do we stand in terms of the legislation for this week? The bill that was uh, approved in committee yesterday would give the government and the coalition an automatic majority on the Judicial Selection Committee. Basically, that means that 
the government and the coalition would have the power to appoint all judges to all courts in Israel, including the Supreme Court, without any input or, or any meaningful input, I should say, from the judiciary or the opposition. So that obviously gives the, the ruling government and, and the coalition an extraordinary amount of power over the judiciary. Uh, the second the second aspect of the bill is that it prohibits the High Court of Justice from exercising judicial review over basic laws, meaning that the High Court can strike down or order to be amended regular legislation by the Knesset, according to the current situation. But under this law, the the court would be prohibited from striking down basic laws. It never has struck down a basic law in the past. But the legislation to change the composition of the Judicial Selection Committee, which we just talked about, that is being passed as as a basic law. So prohibiting the court from striking down a basic law is a way to ensure that this, you know, judicial overhaul package is immune from any high court intervention. There are other points of legislation that are meant to come up this week as well. Are they still on the schedules? So today there is further hearings in the same committee, the Constitution, Law and Justice Committee, regarding another extremely controversial part of the judicial overhaul package, and that is to allow the Knesset to override uh, a high court decision striking down or amending regular legislation. Those hearings are happening today. It's possible that that bill might come to a preliminary vote as early as tomorrow or, or perhaps next week. So Rothman, the head of the committee and one of the most ideologically driven members of the coalition, seeking these judicial reforms, he's driving that process forward as well on, on the override legislation. Okay. Now, as we discussed yesterday in the podcast, and Carrie, you mentioned already, Israeli President Isaac Herzog on Sunday night proposed five steps towards compromise. Last night, the architects of the judicial overhaul, including Justice Minister Yariv Levine and Rotman, appeared to agree to some kind of compromise talks at the president's residence. And on the radio this morning, Rotman doubled down and he said, we could do it even right now. Carrie, does this seem sincere to you? It's funny, both Jeremy and I are shaking our heads. Basically, the the president was very clear that one of his conditions was that the legislative process be paused. Rothman and Levin were very clear that they were happy to speak as long as the legislative process were to continue. Uh, Opposition uh, leader Yair Lapid said, I will not come unless the legislative process stops. If you stop the legislative process, I will show up and we can talk tomorrow morning at the president's house. Basically, they both made false offers. There's no real intention uh, to engage in this process right now with Herzog. Um, They said, we'll come as long as there's no pressure on us to stop what we're actually doing and hear what you have to say. And uh, Lapid and and Gantz, uh, who did not respond to this offer, but have said in the past that he does not want uh, false negotiations, sort of like a a fig leaf of, of a negotiation, say they won't go. So no, <laughs> I don't think that these were credible offers. But one of the things that Rotman is continuously saying is that uh, there is room for discussions during the readings of the bill, meaning the bill doesn't pass on the first reading. Jeremy, do you think that this is a sincere offer? I'm not 100% sure. First of all, in every comment I've seen him, he's made, they've talked about the word dialogue, but they haven't actually said the word compromise, as far as I, I can tell in, in the messaging. Like I said, Rothman and Justice Minister Levine are two of the most ideologically driven members of the coalition and the government. They've wanted these reforms. They've talked about these reforms for years. Both of them, Rothman has, has written two books on, on enacting these reforms. 
And it's hard for me to imagine that now, given the opportunity, he will of himself decide to make any significant compromise on that ideological vision he has of, of severely restraining uh, the, judicial, the judicial branch. Maybe he might commit to some more cosmetic or, or moderate changes, but I think it would take, take real pressure from Prime Minister Netanyahu, if he's interested in doing so, to rein in um, Rothman and Levin at this stage. Again, listeners, check out the What Matters Now, in which we can hear Rothman talk about his idea of a compromise. Carrie, just to end with, there are other voices that are, of course, coming out of the woodwork, including the newly campaigning former Prime Minister uh, Naftali Bennett. What is he saying as well? Bennett, who is a, a right-wing leader, has been a long-time uh, advocate of judicial reform. He says that the system does need reform, but he thinks that the way that uh, the coalition's currently going about it is inappropriate. And he suggested both sides sort of take a 10-day or one-week or 10-day cooling-off period to discuss things. Uh, of course, no one's really listening to Bennett right now. Um, it's just interesting that he's saying this coming out of woodwork. Uh, one thing I did hear uh, on Army Radio this morning were unsourced report <laughs> from one of uh, Israel's um, leading commentators who said that Likud MKs have been calling him and saying that they're uncomfortable uh, with the way that this uh, reform is going through procedurally. They might support its content, but they're uncomfortable with the procedural push behind it, given how it's kind of tearing the country apart, uh, but they're afraid to say anything. Um, and data he said that they shared with him is that uh, within Likud voters, there's definitely pressure not to go forward with this reform the way that it is being pushed. However, uh, within Likud party members, meaning um, the about 140,000 people who are signed up to vote in Likud's primaries, there's very strong support. And so because Likud is one of the few parties that runs a quasi-primary, they're looking at the people who give them their seats back and and they're for this reform. Uh, so there's a really interesting um, thing, a dynamic that might be being missed by some of the public network surveys, which are looking at broader Likud voters, of which there were about a million, um, who say that they're split over these reforms and, and a majority don't support this. Um, meanwhile, the people who are closest in the party and registered party voters um, do. So fascinating. Carrie, Jeremy, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight and the color from the scenes yesterday. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom. Shalom.